Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. To find information about the bridge, including service times and directions, check out thebridgeportage.org. We hope the following message inspires you to be one, make one. Well, Merry Christmas, church. My name is Ryan France. I'm the discipleship director here and just feel so blessed to be able to bring the message this morning. Uh, I am in a sling. If you don't know, I had shoulder surgery about a month ago. I've actually been cleared to be out of the sling, but when they found out I was a pastor, they said, hey, if you're one of those pastors that likes to gesture with your hands, you might consider wearing the sling when you're teaching. And I said, okay, I do have a little bit of self-awareness. For the last several weeks, if you've been at the bridge, we've been in a Characters of Christmas series where we've been going deep into the details that were right before Jesus' birth and right after Jesus' birth. And you might be surprised, but today we're actually not going to go into the details of those accounts. We've already done that. We're actually going to zoom out to look at the whole biblical story. And my goal is that at the end of our time together, you would see that the Bible is one unified, beautiful story because it's written by a beautiful, loving, amazing God. And that if he's written a story as beautiful as he has in our world and in Scripture, he can do the same with our lives. So today is all about story and who doesn't love a good story. I bet if most of us were being honest, we would say, I spend far too much time staring at a screen in my living room watching a story someone else made up. We love stories. Anybody ever stay up past their bedtime because you're enthralled in a story and you think one more episode, surely this thing is going to come to resolution. I just need to stay up. Anybody ever done that? Yeah, I do that a lot. Usually it isn't resolved in one more episode. And if you're young, you're not going to believe this. But there was a day when you couldn't just hit next episode. You'd actually have to wait a whole week for the next episode to come out. And I joke about waiting a week. But we can't truly imagine. But try just for a minute to imagine what it would have been like to wait thousands of years for the fulfillment and culmination of the story that we see in Scripture The video we just watched is called Emmanuel, God with us. And we tend to think of Emmanuel, God with us, as the Christmas story, but it's not just the Christmas story. It's the whole story. And I actually want to go through the Old Testament to show you how that's the case. So in Genesis 1 and 2, we see that God creates this perfect world, and the prize out of all of his creation is human beings. It's the only thing he describes as very good. And God wants to be with the human beings that he's created. The first human beings were Adam and Eve. You may be familiar with their names. Well, that bliss with God, with his people, Adam and Eve, lasts two chapters. Because in chapter 3, Adam and Eve do the one thing, the literal one thing that God asked them not to do, which was to eat from the specific tree in the garden. Let's pick up the story there. Here's Genesis 3. So she, that's Eve, saw that this tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom it would give her. So God says, this tree's not good for you. And human beings said, yeah, but it seems good to me, so I'm just going to go after it. And if that isn't the story of every human being that's ever lived. So Eve took some of the fruit and she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Let's keep reading. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? A few things I want you to see in this story. The first is apparently before sin entered the world, it was commonplace for God to just be walking around in the garden with the people that he's created. God with us. But the thing we see in this story is that sin fractures all of that. 
And it actually raises the question that the rest of the Bible is trying to solve, which is how can a perfect, good, holy God coexist with sinful, unholy, imperfect people? How can, how can they coexist? How can God and man be together again? And we see this raised even in this first story because when Adam and Eve sin, they feel a need to hide from God because they recognize in that moment we are no longer worthy to be with him. And I love this. God's first pursuit, and he pursues all throughout Scripture, and he pursues us even today. God says, where are you? So people are sinful. God is holy. What's God going to do about this? Because as we go and we read the story, it turns out people aren't able to make themselves not sinful. So God's going to have to do something amazing. But let's keep going in the story to see what his plan is. A few chapters later in Genesis 12, God says this to Abram, who later has his name changed to Abraham. He says, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land I will show you. So God promises him and his family land. He says, I will make you into a great nation. So Abraham at this time had no children, and God says, I'm going to grow you into a a great nation. You're going to have so many descendants that can't even be counted. And here's the third part of the promise. He says, I'll bless you and make you famous, not just for yourself, but so that you will be a blessing to others. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. I'm going to make your name great. You're going to have so many descendants. You're going to have a special land that I've given you. And through what I do in you, I'm going to bring restoration to the entire world. We think, wow, that's pretty amazing. Maybe Abraham's going to get to see this in his lifetime. Maybe I can finish this plot line before I even go to bed tonight. No, you're going to have to keep reading. You have to come back tomorrow. Because if you look at Abraham and his family and Isaac and Jacob and Jacob's 12 sons and selling Joseph into slavery. Now the whole family's in slavery in Egypt. You realize this restoration might take a while. God is being faithful, but people not so much. As we fast forward to the next chapter, which is the next book of the Bible, Exodus 19 says this, Abraham's family has now grown into the great nation that God promised. They're known as the nation of Israel. And God says, O nation of Israel, if you'll obey me and keep my covenant, You'll be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. All the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. A priest is someone who represents God to man. And God is telling the whole nation of Israel, I want the whole world to see me through you. You're going to obey me. I'm going to bless you. And the whole world is going to look on and say, I want to follow that God. If you keep reading the story, you see that God is faithful and people are not. In fact, before God can even finish giving the terms of the covenant, the nation of Israel has thrown all their gold into a fire and molded it into a calf. And they've decided to worship a cow instead of the God who led them out of Egypt. Think, okay been a rough go so far, but surely we're at least halfway. And if you know the Old Testament story, you know that Exodus is actually book number two of 39 in the Old Testament. I promise we won't keep going at this pace. But truly, as we keep going, we see we need a different kind of solution. Because even as the story progresses and God makes good on his promise yet again, and now the people enter the land that he had promised to their ancestors, and even when they build God a temple, and his presence is right there in the land that he had promised to them. And even when they asked for a king and he grants them a king, and even when they thought, surely this must be the resolution. This must be the fulfillment. Our ancestors have been waiting for it. We're so blessed to live in the time when it's coming to fruition. Even as we read this part of the story, we see that people are so, so sinful. 
And almost all the kings that come to power turn their back on God and encourage other people to do the same. And this can't be the end of the story. This looks exactly like the rest of the story. God is still faithful, but people are not. How is he going to restore his relationship to them? Things get so bad in Israel's history that we have all these books at the end of our Old Testament called the Prophets. Because God would tap specific people on the shoulder called prophets and he'd say, go to my nation of Israel and remind them of what I promised to them and tell them to turn back to me and be faithful yet again. And here's the really sad thing. God knew that even as he gave the prophets this message, they would deliver a message oftentimes on deaf ears and the people still would not turn back to him. And the prophets can seem pretty bleak at different points. But every single prophet also contains a message of hope. And some of the messages of hope are specifically about Jesus and his ultimate resolution. Nobody talks more about Jesus among the prophets than Isaiah. This first verse we've already heard and read a couple times today. But this is what's prophesied about Jesus. The Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And then a little bit later in Isaiah, we see that Jesus was coming to bring restoration, not just to the people of Israel, not to the Jews, but to the whole world. You will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. A lot of people have just enough of the understanding of the Old Testament to ask the question, hey, I thought this thing was about Israel and about the Jews. When did it become about the Gentiles too? But if you know the whole story as we've gone through, you see that even back in Genesis 12, even back in Exodus 19, God had a plan for the whole world. He didn't want to just be with some of his people again. He wanted to be with all of his people that he created and loves so desperately. And he says that Jesus is going to be the way that this is fulfilled. He's going to be a light to the entire world. And at this point, we've surely thought, wow, this is like a TV series that's had way too many seasons. This thing needs to finish. Will this finally be the time that we see our anticipation rewarded? Will this be the time that the story lives up to the hype? Is God really going to be able to fulfill and redeem everything that's happened up until this point? The spoiler answer to that question is we're all sitting here and a billion people or more are gathered with us today to celebrate the same thing of Jesus' birth. But before I actually go and read about what happens in the New Testament, I actually want to pause for a minute and do something that might surprise you. I want to talk about TV shows. And I'm going to do this for several minutes, and it might feel weird, but I promise I'm not just talking about TV shows to talk about TV shows. I want to compare some of the flaws of TV shows and even the problems that show writers are up against, and I want you to see that it's nothing like God or the story that he's writing. Because my goal today, as I said at the beginning, is that you would grow in confidence of this God who's wrote this a beautiful story for the whole world, and if he can write a beautiful story for the whole world, he can write a beautiful story out of your life, and you should trust him with that. So we are getting there, but I want to start with the TV shows. Who here has ever been disappointed by a TV show? You started watching it, you thought this was great. By the time it was done, you were like, oh my goodness, I'm so disappointed. There's going to be lots of spoilers, but I'm going to give you three examples here. The first one is House. It's the only show I've ever watched 90% of the show, looked up the ending, and then said, I quit. I'm not going to do this. 
House is this brilliant doctor who when other doctors can't figure out what's wrong with someone, they bring them to House. And House almost always fixes these people, heals these people before they die, which is amazing. The problem is House is an egomaniac. He's a narcissist. And throughout the show, we get glimpses that he might change. We're like, oh man, I really want to see this guy change. And about 90% of the show, I'm like, I don't think this guy is going to change. And I looked up on my phone like, he's not going to change. I'm done with this show. And the reason I was done with it is like, I don't want to watch another thing that makes me feel hopeless, that has no growth. I was thinking and I thought of a different show that might reach a different audience. My wife is always watching Gilmore Girls. She says it's just background noise because she's seen it so much at this point. I'm not really watching. I'm doing other things. But I got to tell you, Gilmore Girls is the same way for me. Rory is the worst There is absolutely no character development, and I can't watch the show. It's hopeless. Second example, The Mentalist. And again, spoilers everywhere on these. Actually, the series finale, like the ultimate conclusion of the show, The Mentalist, didn't disappoint me. But it was the main plot line of the first five or six seasons that was so disappointing. Because for the first five or six seasons, he is chasing the man who's responsible for the death of his wife and his daughter. And they really string you along, and you get glimpses of this character all throughout these seasons. And I found myself thinking, I can't wait for the payoff. Like they're going to tie together so many things I didn't even see. I'm going to have to go back and watch it again just to see. I can't believe it was this person all the time. I was so disappointed. And I looked it up and the show writer was like, yeah, even as we were writing the show, we didn't know who this person was going to be. Like, yeah, that's obvious because it didn't even make sense at the end. You just pulled somebody out of a hat. And the reason it was so frustrating to me is it felt like it devalued the whole story up to that point. I wanted these first five seasons to matter. I wanted every plot point to matter and to come full circle and to see the redemption and the restoration. And you did nothing with it. It made it insignificant where I wanted there to be meaning. Third show, and I think I'll get some groans out of the audience on this one, Lost. The, the first, uh, the first um, audience that we had at our first service actually groaned without me asking. That's why I said that. I think a lot of people have seen this show, and i got to say, the first season, or maybe even the first couple seasons, I would describe as some of the best television that exists. And if you haven't seen Lost, this picture actually gives you a glimpse of just how many main characters are on this show. And the amazing thing is, for the first couple of seasons, they are giving you so much backstory on these characters, they're doing so many flashbacks, and I found myself enthralled by the complexity of each and every character. I'm like, I can't wait to see how they redeem this, and what they're going to do, and the connections they're going to make. The problem is... By the end of the show, they thought we were more interested in island mythology and time travel than we were in the people on the island. And I was so disappointed. And specifically, the reason I was so disappointed is because this show stopped answering or even trying to answer the questions that I really cared about. I don't want to watch TV that makes me feel hopeless, like there's no growth. I don't want to watch TV that makes me feel like everything that I watched up until the ending was insignificant and didn't have any meaning. And I don't want to watch TV that isn't answering the questions that I'm really trying to ask. It's not just shows, though. we got to take a look just for a minute at the show writers. Because you can't fully be upset at show writers. And here's why. They're, They're working with a few obstacles. Number one is the show writers have finite knowledge. They, many of them, don't know when their show is going to end. Sometimes the show gets canceled before they were ready for it and they have to wrap up an ending all too quickly. Sometimes they're probably like, whoa, we didn't expect this thing to go on this long. How are we going to drag this out? Weren't ready for this to go 10 seasons. It's hard to write a show if you don't even know how long the show is going to be. Or what about disputes with the actors and we couldn't come to a financial agreement and so now we got to figure out what to do with their character. 
show writers have finite knowledge that makes writing the whole, in, the whole show and the ending of the show difficult. Here's the second thing they're up against. Show writers have limited creativity compared to your imagination. The things that they can direct and act and shoot on camera, it's less than what you can imagine in your own mind, and they know it. You ever wonder why shows are so hesitant to resolve something? Because they know your imagination about the resolution is better than what they can do. Why won't this couple just get together? Will they? Won't they? It's been six seasons of this. They know they can't depict the couple together as well as your mind can imagine it. So they draw it out. Here's a third reason we can't completely blame the show writers. You're not the only person watching the show. There might be millions of people watching the show. So they can't just think about you and your own heart and your desire and what you want to see from the show. They're trying to think about what millions of people might want. They can't get on a personal level with you. And maybe you see where I'm going with this, but I now want to turn my attention to the way that God, as the ultimate writer of our story and the show that he's directed, I want to explain to you how it's so much different. Show writers have finite knowledge. God knows everything about the past, present, and future. He can write a beautiful ending because he's not surprised by anything that has happened or will ever happen. God is not bound to the limits of creativity. The show writers have less creativity than your imagination. God created you and your imagination. He's doing just fine. And the third thing I said is that show writers cannot speak to each individual person's heart and desire. And that's just not the case with God. He can and will and wants to meet each person on a personal level because he loves and cares for you and he made you. And this is perhaps demonstrated most clearly in Christmas. So now we can finally get to the New Testament where we see the beautiful resolution of this story, what the whole Old Testament has been building to, where God himself, in the person of Jesus who's called the Word, he becomes human and he makes his home among us. And God making his home among us has always been the plan. It's always been the story. It's not just the Christmas story. But the story doesn't end here because Jesus doesn't just come to be with us for a little while. He grows up as a human being on earth. He teaches us how to live and he models it with his own life. But then he does something even more amazing. He dies for us. You see, I said at the beginning, there's this problem that all of Scripture is trying to solve, which is how can unholy, sinful people be with a holy, sinless God? We can't make our way to him, and he's not just going to compromise his character and start being okay with sin. So what will God do? Jesus steps down, and he takes our punishment for us. We've all turned our back on God in big ways and in small ways, and Jesus says, I'll own all of that. I'll be a sacrifice for you to repair the relationship with God, because God wants to be with his people. And not just one person or one nation or one family, but with all of us. For any of us who have accepted Jesus' birth and his death and his resurrection, we get to have God with us even now and the promise of God with us for eternity. I mentioned that God is not up against the same obstacles that show writers are. And it means that his story doesn't fall flat in the same way the TV shows might. Where I'm left feeling hopeless when I finish or don't finish house, God's story fills me with so much hope. 
Sure, there were many times in the Old Testament where it looked bleak and we thought, are human beings just destined to repeat the same thing for every generation? And even now, if we're honest, we look at the world and say, we're still struggling with the same things. But that's because our human nature is corrupt and the only way out of it is through God. And Jesus gives us hope because he says, stop trying to do it in your own strength and let me be your guide. Follow me. I'll give you my Holy Spirit and he will change you from the inside out. We are not stuck in a hopeless story. Even today, if you feel like, I I don't like the way I am. I wish things could change. I wish I could be out of this addiction. Jesus can and wants to set you free. I mentioned that shows like The Mentalist frustrate me because they seem to devalue everything about the beginning of the story. Where was the significance? Where was the meaning? What was everything building to? God's story is different. Jesus comes on the scene and suddenly so many things about the Old Testament that didn't make sense, make sense. So many things were foreshadowing Jesus that we didn't even grasp the first time around. And God's not done tying together details that looked meaningless in people's lives. He wants to do the same thing with us. Every single one of us has gone through things that feel mundane. And we've also gone through things that have hurt deeply. And we want to believe desperately that everything we've gone through actually matters to the story. And in God and in Jesus, it can and it does. And finally, I said shows like Lost frustrate me because they stop even trying to answer the questions that I really care about. And Jesus came on the scene then, and he wants to speak to us today, and he wants to answer the questions that we most deeply care about. Who am I? What is my purpose? And what is my future? And Jesus says, I'll tell you who you are. You're created and loved by me. Jesus says, I'll tell you what your purpose is. It's to live for me so that even the mundane details of your life have meaning because it's part of my story. And Jesus says, I've come to tell you what your future is. Because if you'll trust your life over to me, your future is to be at home with me. Not just now in the rest of your earthly life, but forever in heaven. You see, all throughout the story, it really is Emmanuel, God with us. And the writer of the last book of the Bible called Revelation, his name is John, and he wants to make sure like we do not miss. This is what the whole story has been building to, and this is the end of the story as well. So let's fast forward all the way to the end of the Bible and look at Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For that old heaven and the old earth, the one that had been corrupted by sin and our mistakes, that's disappeared. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. John's like, just in case you were thinking about like not understanding my point, I'm going to say it four times in a row. God wants to be with you. It's not just the Christmas story. It's the whole story. And he wants to be with you forever and for all eternity. Just a few minutes ago, I mentioned a few reasons why we can't completely blame show writers when they can't come up with the ending we would like to see. I want to add one more reason to that. Part of the reason that show writers are up against it from the very beginning is because at some point, they have to end the show. They have to end the show. And my guess is even shows that you look back on fondly were like, you know what? That was a pretty good ending. There was still a sense of, oh, bittersweet. 
I wish this didn't have to end. I wish I could have kept following that character and I, I wanted to see where things kept going. Like, you did a good job, but like, I would have liked to watch more of this. I'm actually going to go start at the beginning and just watch it through again. And some of us do that with our favorite shows. But there's a sense of, ah, even in the good, I want more. And what if that discontent is something that you should pay attention to? Forget TV for a minute. What about your own life? How much of our lives have, as human beings is us waiting we're always waiting, thinking the next thing, the next season of life, that's when it's all going to come together. Sometimes we get to that next thing we've been waiting for and we think, wow, that's kind of disappointing. Other times we get there and it's like, you know what, that is actually pretty fulfilling, but two things have taken the place of the one that I was waiting for and now I'm just waiting for something else. And even in our lives, we would point to so much discontent thinking there's got to be more, there's got to be more, this can't be the whole thing. And I'll say again, what if that discontentment is something that you should pay attention to? What if it's true what the writer of Ecclesiastes says in the Old Testament, that God has placed eternity in the heart of every human being he's created? What if part of the reason we can't be happy with the ending of a TV show is because we weren't made for endings? And God's story is so beautiful because it makes sense of our present life here it gives us instructions on how to live the rest of our life here on earth, but it also gives us this promise that will not end. Being in beautiful paradise in perfection and sinlessness with God. With God. I did the math. You could get adequate sleep and you could binge the entire series of Lost in the next two weeks. I wouldn't personally recommend it. I think you'd be disappointed in the ending. But here's the thing. Whether it's Lost or any other show, which you could probably also binge in two weeks, it's not really that much of an investment. It's a little bit of your time, and at the end of the day, it's not even a real story, and it's certainly not your story. So what about your story that I believe you're fully invested in, that you spend a lot of time on? I can't speak to each individual person who's listening right now, but I know a few things that all of us want. All of us want to believe that things that have happened in our past are actually significant to the story. That the broken parts that we've left behind, that we're yearning for a better ending over, that they can be redeemed and restored, and they can be in Jesus. And I believe that all of us aren't just looking towards the past, we're looking towards the future with anticipation. There's something that we want. There's something we're yearning for. We're not yet fully content. We have this belief there has to be more. And in Jesus, there can be. So who's going to write your story? What if I told you that the God of the universe, who has infinite knowledge of all things past, present, and future, who has endless creativity, and who loves and cares for you on a personal level, as thrown, shown through Jesus coming to earth to be born and to die for us. What if I told you that that God wanted the pen? He wanted to write your story. The only question is, will you give it to him? Will you trust him as the beautiful story writer that he is? If you haven't made that decision yet, then your next step is to keep seeking Jesus in his story I don't have time today to lay out all the historical arguments or to give you 10 reasons you should believe in the historicity of Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection. But here's what I want to tell you today. You should want the story to be true. 
Nothing is going to give your life more meaning. Nothing is going to make more sense out of the things you've gone through. Even if you don't know yet that the story is true, you should want it to be true. This shouldn't be the last time you set foot in a church for several months. Whether it's this church or another, you should keep seeking Jesus and reading his word and asking, is this real? Because I want it to be. And some of you, before you even leave here today, will come down and pray with one of us pastors and say, can I just pray? Can I kind of sort through this even now? But there's another group of people here who have said yes to God. We've handed over the pen to God and say, I surrender my life to you. I want you to write my story. I want you to write my ending. And you're not done either. Because your step now is not just to seek Jesus, but to share him. All of us, I'm willing to bet, have watched a TV show that we enjoyed enough to recommend it to someone else. And with a million times the fervor of that, we should be recommending and telling of Jesus to each and every person that we get the opportunity to. There is no greater news, not just for us, not just for one subset of people or one nation or one family, but for the whole world. And that is God's ultimate goal from the beginning to the end, that he would be with all his people that he created and that he loves so much. I want to remind you of Isaiah 49, where it was prophesied about Jesus that he would restore not just the nation of Israel, but that he would be a light to the Gentiles. And that Jesus would be the way that salvation was brought to the ends of the earth. And on Christmas Eve, we celebrate Jesus. And we turn our eyes to that light. And we say, Lord, help us share it. And as we close together this Christmas Eve, we're going to do what we do every year. We're going to close by singing Silent Night. And I hope as one light spreads throughout this whole auditorium until everyone is holding a candle, you'll reflect on this story and say, I want to be part of it. Would you stand as we sing Silent Night? This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church in Portage, Michigan. For additional information, check out thebridgeportage.org or stop by and visit us.